continue today our study in the book of Hebrews, and this is week number 18, and we have arrived to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. And um, if you have been following with us, uh, the book of Hebrews, just to recap, is written to um, Jewish background believers, people who were Jews at some point, and then they uh, embraced Christianity and they embraced Christ. And then I think mainly because of persecution or some other reason, they start thinking about going back to Judaism. So that's why this book was written. It was written to them so they will stick to the faith and not abandon Christ to go back to Judaism. In order to encourage them to do so, the author of Hebrews spent the first 10 chapters pretty much to argue the superiority of Christ over the elements of the Old Testament. Um, so this way they will be encouraged not to leave what is superior to go what is inferior. In chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, um, the author of Hebrews argued, argued that Christ is superior to the prophets. Then from verse 4 of chapter 1 till the end of chapter 2, he argued that Jesus is superior to the angels. And pretty much chapter 3 and all of chapter 4, uh, for two chapters, he was arguing that Jesus is superior to Moses. And this is where we at right now, uh, that his argument that Jesus is superior to Moses. Um, what we have been talking about so far is that chapter 3, verse 1, all the way to verse 6, he's arguing that Christ Jesus is superior than Moses in person. Jesus is the Son of God, but Moses is the servant of God. Jesus is the creator, he's the builder of everything, but Moses is one who's serving in the building, one of the uh, house of God that God created, which is the nation of Israel. Therefore, his point is Jesus is superior than Moses, and Jesus should receive, should receive more honor and more glory, far more than Moses. After he proved that Jesus is superior to Moses, verses 1 to 6 of chapter 3, he moved on to talk about the followers of Jesus versus the followers of Moses. He quoted Psalm 95 and he applied that to compare that um, to the original generation that was led by Moses out of the land of Egypt, which Psalm 95 spoke about. And how is that related to the followers of Jesus nowadays, which is you and me? And if Jesus is superior than Moses, he's arguing the followers of Jesus to do far much better than the followers of Moses did. So he spent from chapter 3, verse 6, almost all the, all the way to the end of chapter 4, quoting, that verse, uh, quoting these verses from Psalm 95 and then preaching his own sermon on it. That's, that's what the author of Hebrews did. So we see in chapter 3, verse 7 to 11, the quotation of Psalm 95. In verse 12 to 15 of chapter 3, we see his application of Psalm 95. And then uh, we see from chapter 3, verse 16, all the way to chapter the end of chapter 4, almost the exhortation from Psalm 95. Again, application, uh, quotation, application, exhortation. We've been talking about this for the last uh, three weeks. This is week number four, talking about the superiority of, of Christ over Moses. In the exhortation, you guys, I'm just recapping. I hope you follow me. I'm just going through the outlines. Um, the author of Hebrews argued negatively and positively from Psalm 95. He said, we should not be like the first generation who did not enter into the promised land because of their disbelief. 
That was chapter 3, verse 16 to 19. And then pretty much whole chapter 4, which we started in last week, he's arguing how to apply or exhort his readers to apply Psalm 95 in a positive way. How we should strive to enter into God's rest. We started that last week. We said he gave them four motivations in chapter 4 so they can be encouraged to strive to enter into God's rest. The first motivation is that the promise to enter God's rest still remain. And that's verse 1 to verse 3. And today we're going to start on the second motivation, which is because the actual rest still remains. That's part of verse 3 all the way to verse 10. And then in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about because the word of God is living and because our high priest can sympathize with our weakness. So these four motivation is what the author of Hebrews used to positively encourage the readers of his book to strive to enter into God's rest. You guys are with me? All right. Um, so I'm trying to show you how the book is connected all together. These are not just some random thoughts the author of Hebrews was throwing in his book. He has, an, he has a plan. He has a train of thoughts that we're trying to follow here. So let's read Hebrews 4, three, uh, last part of verse 3, all the way to verse 10. I can read that for us. As he has said, now he's going back to Psalm 95 and quoted, quoting it again. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore remains that some must enter it, and those whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, today. After such a long time, as it, as it has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. How many times the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 so far in just these three, three few verses that we have just read? So far, it has been three or four times. He's keep referencing back Psalm 95, right? We have it in verse 3, the last part, as he said, I swore in my wrath, you shall not enter my rest. And then he moves on to um, verse 5. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. That's the second quote. The third quote here is in verse um, 7, by referencing the word today from Psalm 95, as it's said in David, today, um, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Again, he's going back to that psalm all the time. That's the foundation of his sermon. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he who entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Amen? So let's break down these seven verses and see what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. I'm going to read verse, the last part of verse 3 again. Here is what it says. As he has said, so I have sworn in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, although the rest has been prepared from the foundation of the world, right? Does it say that? No. It says what is finished. The works is finished. You guys are with me? Notice this. He said, 
So I swore in my wrath, they should not enter my rest, right? That's God's oath that he has sworn in Kadesh Barnea when the children of Israel refused to believe God to enter uh, the promised land, right? It will make more sense. It will make more sense to say after that, although the rest has been prepared, right? Because God is saying, I have sworn you're not going to enter my rest in spite of the fact that the rest has been prepared, right? But the author of Hebrews doesn't use these words. Doesn't say that the rest has been prepared. In contrast, he's saying different wording to convey the same meaning. He's not saying that the rest has been prepared. He's saying that the works were finished. Do you guys follow me? He's not saying that the rest has been prepared. He's saying the work is finished, which is pretty much following the exact same wording that we see in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we see God doing all his work of creation uh, throughout the first six days. And then after, after everything was created, God looked at man and he said, everything is very good now with man being created. God rested from his work. You guys are with me? So the idea of rest here is this, that works are done. That is the very idea of what that rest is in the mind of the book of Hebrews. You guys are with me? He's following what Genesis defined rest for us. How God defined rest for us in Genesis. That God finished everything and because everything is finished, now God can rest. You guys are with me? Now think about it this way. When, when in Genesis talks about the works has finished and now God entered his rest. It doesn't mean that God is now is idle and have he nothing going on. He's just laying on the couch watching TV. Because this is our idea of rest, right? I lay on the couch watch TV. That's my rest. But this is not what the author of Hebrews ha- is, is thinking about. This is not the idea of rest that he's trying to tell us. God is still working. Amen? Amen? He's maintaining the creation that he has created in six days, right? So... Even Jesus himself said, up till today, I am working just as my father is working. So God is continually working, even though he finished that works of creation, right? So when we say we enter into God's rest or talking about that rest, he's he's not talking about God being idle, doing nothing. God is still working. But that term rest is used very specifically to tell us that the works has been done in terms of creating everything. And because the works are done in that specific aspect, now God is at rest. You guys are with me? And that makes perfect sense because if you go back and read with me verse 10... Here is what the author of Hebrews said in verse 10. He said, For he who entered his rest has he himself also seized from his works as God from his. Amen? So the idea of rest over and over again here from the author of Hebrews mindset is not that you're idle doing nothing, but rather that the work has been completed. Right? That's very important. And he said that the works has finished since when? Since the foundation of the world. Now think about this. The author of Hebrews is talking to his readers. And he's quoting Psalm 95, right? And God in Psalm 95 talked to the first generation. And he said, uh, because they rebelled against him, I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest, right? 
When David quoted that song, or when God said that, uh, and David quoted it later on, the idea here is this. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. But the author of Hebrews is saying that this rest has been prepared since the foundation of the world, right? In other words, the author of Hebrews is trying to play with words with us here. He's definitely talking about God's rest from the act of creation when he said that this rest has been or the works have been done since the foundation of the world, right? But he's applying that rest to his reader and he's encouraging them to enter that very rest that has been prepared since the foundation of the world. You guys are with me? In other words, even though the author of Hebrews is using the word rest to talk about God's resting from finishing the acts of creation, he's still telling them that the very rest that has been prepared since the foundation of the world is available for you and for me, right? So he's using that rest again to imply the rest of salvation to those who are hearing him and reading his words, right? Because that rest that is available from the foundation of the world is available to those who are reading his book. is available for you and for me, right? So he's using the word rest to have two meanings here. Number one, it talks about the rest of God who ceased from his, the act of creation. But number two, he's talking about the rest that is available to those who are reading his book. And that's the rest of salvation that is available for you and me. Amen? And he's saying that rest of salvation has been prepared, has been done, has been ready since the foundation of that world. And we see that a couple of other times throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 13, 35. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, Jesus speaking in parables. I will open my mouth in parable. I will utter things hidden since what? The foundation of the world. The concept of the kingdom of God that Jesus has come to preach. And that salvation is only by being born again. All these things are hidden since the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.7 Just as he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. First Peter 1.20 For he was foreseeken when not foreknown, I'm sorry, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he has appeared in this last time for your sake. You guys are with me. So when God said, I will enter my rest in Genesis 3 at the foundation of the world, the author of Hebrews is using the word rest to give us two meanings. Yes, he's talking about the rest of God from the act of creation, but he's also talking about the very rest of salvation that is available for you and me that has been prepared for all of us since the foundation of the world. You guys are with me? Okay, let's move on. Verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place on, a seventh, on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on that seventh day from his works. Amen? Now, that seems to be a natural progress to what he has just told us in verse 3. He said that the rest has been established since the foundation of the world when God seized the action of creation, right? So it seems more natural that he is now talking about the seventh day because that's what the account in Genesis tells us. God created everything in six days and now God rested on the seventh day. You guys are with me? But the author of Hebrews, again, does like a word play here a little bit because remember that his readers 
these Hebrews actually were using the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, right? They were not reading the Hebrew Old Testament. They were reading the Greek New Te Old Testament. You guys are with me? The Greek translation of the Old Testament. And all the quotes from the author of Hebrews is actually following the Septuagint, the Greek translation, not the Hebrew Bible. We talked about this before. You guys are with me? Now, the same Greek word, here's what happened. The same Greek word that was used in Genesis 2-2 and God arrested, the same exact Greek word was used later on in Psalm 95 when God said, I have sworn in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Right? In Hebrew, it's two different words. But in Greek, it's the exact same word. Right? So, be you guys are with me? So, because the readers of the book of Hebrews read the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews used their knowledge to, to link these two, two words together. The word of rest in Psalm 95 with the word of rest in Genesis 2-2. Amen? So, if they would have not known Greek, they probably would have not gotten what he's trying to get to here. But the author of Hebrews linked these two words together. The word of rest in Genesis 2-2 with the word of rest, my rest, in Psalm 95. And he's telling them that this very rest God has prepared since the foundation of the world when he sees his act of creation. Now, by connecting these two verses together, connecting Psalm 95 with Genesis 2-2, that tells us this. Remember Psalm 95, God said, I sworn in my wrath, they will not enter my rest, right? The question is, when God said my rest, what is God talking about here? Is he talking about the rest that he pissed all, or is he talking about the rest that he enjoys? You guys are with me? Because God himself rested on the seventh day, right? So when God said, I sworn in my wrath, they, not, they will not enter my rest. Which kind of rest the author of, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews is using here by referring to Psalm 95? The rest that God bestows or the rest that God enjoys? And the answer is, it is the rest that God enjoys, right? So God is sworn to the first generation that left the land of Egypt. They will not enter into the very rest that I am enjoying since the cessation of the creation of the world. Amen? And he's saying that this very rest that God himself enjoys starting on the seventh day is available to the first generation, but they did not enter because of their disbelief. But this exact same rest is available for you and me, and we can enter into that exact same rest. How? By faith. You guys are with me? You follow the author of Hebrews thoughts so far? And then he moves on to verse 5. And then he said, And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. He's going back to quote Psalm 95. Why? Because he's making sure that we understand that all of this is connected together. That the rest that God spoken about in Genesis 2-2 is the exact same rest that David spoke about in Psalm 95. The exact same rest that is available for you and for me. In other words, he's trying to tell us that the rest that God enjoyed after the act of creation that he has promised to his people is the exact same rest, which is the goal of redemption. The whole point of the Bible is that to get people into that exact same rest that God enjoyed since the seventh day. You guys are with me so far? And then verse 6. 
Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was, it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, he said again he designates another day. And verse 6 is not explicit, but it is definitely implied, right? That the author of Hebrews is comparing two groups of people. He's comparing the first generation that was led by Moses out of the land of Egypt and did not enter into the land of Canaan, the rest that God has promised them because of their disobedience when they refused to trust God to enter into the land of the promise, right? That's the first group that the author of Hebrews is bringing to the comparison. The second group is his own readers, you and me who are still having the exact same rest available for us, just as it was available for them, the first generation, right? They did not enter because of their disobedience, but you and me have the chance to enter if we obey and trust God. That is the idea here in verse 6. You guys are with me? Now remember in, in chapter 3, verse 19, the author of Hebrews told us that the first generation could not enter because of their... Anybody remember? Unbelief. Right, right. That's right. Uh, one is with me. Thanks, Emmanuel. In, in chapter 3, verse 19, he said they could not enter because of their unbelief. But now, in chapter verse 4, verse 6, he's telling us that they could not enter because of their disobedience. Because it seems to me that in the mindset of the author of Hebrews, it is the exact same thing. Unbelief is disobedience is the exact same thing when you make a conscious decision to disobey what you know is clearly the command of God that is unbelief amen the flip side then must be true if you make a conscious decision to trust God even though you don't understand it very well that will be belief right that would be faith right because i don't know sometimes word faith has different meaning in the scripture and that can be confusing to us what is faith to, to have let's say god told you let's say you know that you heard the voice of god that you need to go to china as a missionary i'm just throwing some random ideas here okay and you're a little bit afraid because it's the unknown you don't know what to do you don't know what you're gonna expect you're just a little bit at unease with the whole situation and then you decide to do it anyways. You decide to obey the voice of God anyway, right? Is that faith or is that not faith? Remember, you still had some unease in the whole situation. Is that unease speak of your unbelief that you don't trust God? You try to get what I'm saying here. It is the fact that you choose to obey God regardless of how you feel about it. That is faith, right? Even if you feel uneasy about it. Even if you're not 100% sure. Even if you're not at a perfect peace with it because you're just afraid. You're, you're worried a little bit about it. That worry and that uncertainty that your experiences does not count as unbelief. You guys are with me? It's when you choose to trust God. That's the kind of faith that the scripture talks about. You obey God, regardless of your worries, regardless of your concerns, regardless of how you feel about it, regardless of how you think about it. Amen? That is the faith that God requires. You guys are with me? And that is what the same thing here. It's faith is the same thing as obedience. Unbelief is the same thing as disobedience. Amen? 
Now, he's comparing these two groups and he's saying the first generation failed to enter into the land of the promise because of their unbelief, because of this, their disobedience. So let's not be like them. The rest remains and we must enter it. So let's be obedient and let's have trust God and have faith in him. And then in verse 7, he goes to this. And again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, how much is that long time? About 400 years. From the day of Kadesh Barnea, when the children of Israel refused to enter God's rest, and God said, I am swearing today you'll not enter my rest, that till the time of Psalm 95, when David wrote that uh, Psalm, Psalm 95, it was about 400 years. So 400 years later, David is still talking about that day is still available for his reader to enter into his rest. And the author of Hebrews quoted that later on to say that Psalm 95 is available. The rest of Psalm 95 is still available for you and me. Amen. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, let's try to quote Psalm 95 because I want to bring something to your attention. Psalm 95, verse 7 to 11 goes like this. It starts with this phrase actually, right? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Just as the day of, of testing in Massa and Maribah, right? We talked about this. When your father did not believe me and did not trust me and I punished him for 40 years. So therefore, I sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You guys are with me? And so far in that part of chapter 4, the author of Hebrews was actually focusing on the end of this quote, right? Today, I, you know, I have sworn in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest, right? And he's talking about that. He's saying they did not enter because of their disbelief. But God's rest has been already established since the foundation of the world. And he's expounding on the end of that quote, right? Now the author of Hebrews is shifting gears and he's actually shifting to the, to the beginning of that quote, right? Psalm 95 verse 7 says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of uh, temptation and contention when your father contented with me. So he's now shifting his sermon from the end of the quote to the beginning of the quote to pull out one certain word that he want to make it so abundantly clear to us. And that's the word today. Amen? The author of Hebrews is using now that word as a quote from Psalm 95 to tell us that the same rest that was established when God finished his work of creation, God's own rest, the same rest that the first generation did not did not enjoy because of their disobedience and unbelief, that exact same rest is available for you and me and it's available today. You guys are with me? The exact same rest is still available to the 21st since 21st century Christian to enter into that God's very own rest. It's available today. Amen? But not that it is available now. It's also an urgent call because it's only available today. It's not available. It might not be available for you tomorrow. It might not be available for you next year. It's available today and you need to take advantage of that as soon as possible. You guys are with me? You have to take advantage of it today. And then he continues expounding on that word today. And he said this, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward, in Psalm 95, has spoken of another day. You guys are with me? Now, the, the hard part about this sentence is, the Bible actually tells us in uh, Joshua, that Joshua was able to conquer a lot of the land that God has promised 
and that actually God has given his people rest. We'll read that a couple of times. I think it's in Joshua 21, 44 and 22, verse 4. Twice we read in the book of Joshua that the people rested. They entered into that rest. So what is it that the author of Hebrews is talking about here, saying that Joshua did not give them rest if, it's already, if they already had that rest under Joshua's leadership? Well, even though the, the children of Israel entered into earthly Canaan and rested under the leadership of Joshua, the author of Hebrews is telling us that this is not really the intention, the actual rest that God has intended for his people since the foundation of the world. Amen? It is a type of it, but it is not the actual rest that God wants his people to enter. Amen? So in other words, the author of Hebrews here is telling us that earthly Canaan, the rest that the people enjoyed, the second generation now, not, not the first generation, the people who were led by Joshua enjoyed that rest in earthly Canaan as a type of the rest of heavenly Canaan that is available for those who believe and trust God. You guys are with me? It's not the intention of God's rest from the foundation of the world. It's just a type of it. And then he said, verse 9, Therefore, since Joshua was not really able to give them that rest, and therefore David, 400 years later, still speaking of that rest being available, therefore there remains a rest for the people of God. And that's what he said here in verse 9. You guys are with me? Now, that phrase, verse 9, remains a rest for the people of God in so many ways is very identical to the first part of verse 6. When he said, actually let's go and read the first part of verse 6 together. It says this, since therefore it remains, the rest remains, that some must enter it, right? So in the beginning of verse 6, he says that the rest remains, that some might enter it. Here in verse 9, says that the rest remain for the people of God, right? So it's very identical. The thought is still the exact same thing. But he did one massive change between the beginning of verse 6 and verse 9. The word rest that he used in the beginning of verse 6 is the same word that was used in Genesis 2-2 when it says God rested from his work. It's the same word that used in uh, Psalm 95. You know, I sworn in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. But here, and this is the same word that used in verse 6, the first part, rest remains that we must enter it. But the word of rest that he used here in verse 9 is actually the word Sabbath. That we have, like God said, I command you to keep the Sabbath. So he used a different word for rest here in verse 9. And that change was intentional. He definitely switched the word on purpose. Now Sabbath is a day when God has commanded his people that they can work six days a week. And on the seventh day, that's a day where they don't have to work at all. And all what they do is pretty much to worship and to enjoy the presence of God. You guys are with me? And now this is the kind of rest that the author of Hebrews now is shifting to. And he's saying that kind of rest now is available for the people of God. That's you and me. Amen? It seems now that he's not talking about Remember when Joshua, we talked about Joshua, we said that Joshua did not lead them into the actual rest that God intended and that the rest of earthly Canaan was a type of the rest of heavenly Canaan, right? Yeah. 
It seems now that he's elaborating more on that kind of rest in heavenly Canaan. That this is a rest where people going to worship and enjoy the presence of God. Amen? It seems like now he's talking about heaven. He's talking about the eternity that believers will enjoy. And it makes sense because it says that this rest remains not for the world, not for the unbelievers, but for the people of God. You guys are with me? Verse 10. For he who entered his rest, has he himself also rested from his works as God rested from his works. Amen? Again, it seems like he's still elaborating on that Sabbath idea that the work is finished and because the works are done, now you can rest, now you can take a break, right? It seems like he's talking more about how when a Christian finish all his work on earth, all his ministry that he has to do, and enter into the heavenly rest in the presence of God, then the works has been finished once and for all, and you can rest from your works just as God has rested from his works. Amen? It's the exact same rest that God entered into into the seventh day after he sees the work of creation. That rest is available for every believer after you finish your ministry and what you call to do throughout your life here, and you will enter into the very rest and the very presence of God. Amen? When it says here, he who entered his rest, he himself rests just as God entered his rest. The works that you and I have to do here, we should understand that in, in a positive way, not in a negative way. Because it's compared to the works that God has done throughout creation. So if he compares your work and my work to God's work, and you rest and my rest to God's rest, so we need to understand that in a positive sense, right? That this is the work that Christians have to do in serving and ministering God, not earning salvation, serving and ministering God throughout our lives. And after you finish your work, just as God finished his work, you also enter into his rest, and that is heaven. Amen? Amen. Now, this is a hard passage in the scripture, and the word rest, what it means, is so complicated. And you have like, commentaries, and the, each one of these people take a, a stand, and he proves it. So it's, it's what I'm trying to say. This is a very hard text to digest precisely what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. And there's pros and cons to every way you try to break it down, understand what he's trying to tell us. Amen? But it appears to me that... Starting verse 8, the author of Hebrews kind of shifted what he was trying to do. He used the same word, but he's just telling us something different. Let's go back, and I'll try to show you what I mean here. <clears throat> before verse 8, before verse 8, he's talking about a rest, right? That God has prepared since the foundation of the world. Amen? It's the exact same rest that God himself enjoys on the seventh day. Right? He's talking about a rest that... The only reason why you would not enter into that rest is because of unbelief or disobedience, right? He's not talking about heavenly rest because you don't enter into heaven by faith. You enter into heaven when you die, right? When you and I die, we enter into heaven. So the actual tangible eternal rest, we don't enter by faith. Right? You enter when you die and you pass out from earth. That's how you enter into God's eternal rest. But that rest he's talking about in verse 6 is a rest that you can enter by faith, by obeying God. And also he's saying that this rest is available for you today. Right? But then starting verse 8, it seems like he starts talking about different kind of rest that was typified by 
earthly Canaan. Earthly Canaan was just a type of that rest. And that new kind of rest is actually remains not for the unbeliever. It is available for the people of God. And unlike the word Greek word for rest that he used before, this rest is more of like a Sabbath rest, right? That a believer can continue on worshiping and exalting and lifting the name of Jesus. It is the exact same rest that God himself enjoyed after he finished good works, his good works. You and I can enjoy the exact same rest when you and I finish our good works in serving Christ throughout this earth. Amen? You guys follow me? It seems like he's talking about two different kinds of rest here. You guys are with me? Before verse 8, he's talking about the rest of salvation. When a sinner comes to know Christ and he rests from trying to laboring into pleasing God and trying to do good works so he can enter into God's salvation. That's the kind of rest he's talking about all the way to verse 8. And he's telling his readers, don't be like the first generation that was prohibited from entering into that very rest because of their honor. Believe. He said, today, if you just trust God, you will enter into that rest of salvation and you don't have to strive anymore to enter into that rest. Amen? But then, starting verse 8, now he's encouraging his readers who's still facing persecution, who's still thinking about leaving Christ. He's saying, now... Finish the good works that is left before you. Amen? Because we have heavenly Canaan waiting for us. And just as in the same manner that God rested after his work, after he finished all the work of creation, you also get to the day that you will rest from your, all your ministry and all your labor serving Christ when you enter into heaven. You guys are with me? It's hard and it's difficult and everybody can understand this passage their own way. This is what I think is happening here. He's talking about two different kinds of rest. Amen? The rest of salvation and the rest of heaven. And they're both available to us, but the first one is available by faith. The second one is available after you finish the ministry that you have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So he's encouraging his readers to enter into that rest because the rest remains. Therefore, remain rest for the people of God. Amen? Amen. Can we close?